I've tried to explain troublesome terms to people who haven't heard of it before, and I've been explaining it as Monty Python goes interpreting. Yay! Alex, you are humming. I know, I'm not trying to be Donald Trump here. <laughs> I just had really spicy noodles. You know what? Yeah, not nice. And I'm gonna dance! Wow, can we do that? <laughs> the first 20 minutes of every conference in Scotland is gonna be haggis, whiskey, and kilts. Hello, and welcome to Troublesome Turps, a Prose Community Choice Awards-nominated podcast by interpreters, for interpreters, with humor that only interpreters will find funny, hopefully. I am Alexander Drexel, the interpreter who, according to some at least, knows more about tablets than Moses. We'll see about that. With me here today is another Alexander, Herr Gansmeier, who knows more about the Oktoberfest than he cares to admit or remember. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing sehr gut. Wonderful. <laughs> and that was more French. Anyway, and lastly, the only one of us who looks fetching in a fuchsia gown, who knows more about stuff you've never heard of than anyone else, Dr. Jonathan Danny. He's also the only one here who knows how to pronounce fuchsia correctly. Is that the, was that the correct Glaswegian pronunciation there, Jonathan? That was correct, but it's also the, the only color in the English language which Google can actually decide how to spell. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you a little tip if you google fuchsia it will say did you mean and give you another spelling and if you click Perfect. on that spelling it will say did you mean and give you the spelling that you put in first wow. so it's that's, just that's deep hilariously weird the english language is odd yeah it's full of wonders and miracles <laughs> but we're not talking about colors or you know gowns or anything today our topic is conferences but not the ones where we sit in the glass booth and we interpret, but conferences that we attend as participants. So we wanted to recap a few of our recent experiences. Uh, Jonathan has been to a few conferences lately and the two Alex's as well. And um, Jonathan, why don't you start us off with uh, one of your recent conference experiences? Which, which was the one that still stands out the most to you? Well, the, the one that will stand in my memory for a while was a couple of weeks ago, I was in sunny Aarhus in Denmark for the EST conference. Now, this is where I diverge from a lot of interpreters and in that I'm insane enough to go to academic conferences and professional ones. Um, but it's interesting because most of the debates in the academic conferences on interpreting are very, very relevant to our work. Um, EST conference will stand out for quite a few reasons. The first being that I got voted onto the EST executive board by a single vote. Wow. Yes, congratulations. congratulations. That was exciting and nerve wracking. The The second thing that stands out in my mind is that suddenly um, I was watching a researcher talk about statistics. Now, it's not usually the most exciting subject and not usually one I understand. And so, for instance, they have pro um, looked at the analysis and found that interpreters do have more effective working memories than non-interpreters and they've looked at that over something like 24 different studies and it's the first consistent statistically consistent result they have found so interpreting is beginning to establish itself as an academic field which is good for the profession and i think it's beginning um is giving us this basis that we can now tell people not only is interpreting worth doing it's worth doing well and it's worth being honored with the same honor that we would give medicine or law, or any of these established professions that we're now getting that level of study. So that really stood out to me that interpreting is here, it's here to stay, 
and we're beginning to show that we're as valid a field of study and work as any other established profession. So maybe to just back up for a second. So EST stands for European Society of Translation Studies, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, which covers translate, um, written translation, interpreting, audiovisual translation, basically anything to do with translation and or interpreting. So on the spectrum of academic and professional conferences, the EST one would be one of the academic conferences? It's probably the top academic conference in Europe, and it only happens every three years. Um, and literally, if there's something to do with translation or anything that looks like translation, you will find it at EST conference. And one other thing, we had a, a researcher who's an expert on translation technology who pointed out that no serious machine translation researcher thinks it will ever replace humans. That's comforting to know. It, it, it's basically because they're, they're working on neural machine translation, which there are some evidence for and some not. But basically, the, the deal is that almost all machine translation researchers now see it as either um, for language combinations where human translation or interpreting is uneconomical or for situations where it can support humans. And that's simply because language does things that even a neural network isn't as good at doing as we are. And so all this stuff about, you know, earbuds in your ears and, you know, Google taking over, it's nonsense. And the serious researchers, the people who are doing actual science on it will tell you that. The marketing people won't. <laughs> of course they won't. <laughs> so uh, in terms of audience, it's uh, academics, but also people from the technology industry, it sounds like. Well, she, she kind of sits, sits between the two of that researcher, but you have academics, you have practicing professionals there. So we had the head of the uh, FIT, which is the International Federation of uh, translation which covers all the associations there's now more of a crossover and i would plead with professionals to go to at least one academic conference every couple of years if only because there's nowhere better to get the myths that we might have in our heads busted and also you'd be surprised at the very practical things you can learn at an academic conference so target you know if, you, if you're in a, an interpreter target something like critical link or um, an interpreting conference if you're a translator you know go to one on the practical side of translation rather than literary translation and philosophy but you will find things that you can take back to your own work and actually think differently and do it better um, so we might get to that later, that kind of talking about deliberate practice and what does it mean to become an expert interpreter. That's things that researchers are looking at that I think professionals should really care about as well. That's right. You're saying it, that there's a benefit to attending these uh, quote-unquote academic conferences, not just go to the quote-unquote practical conferences where you learn about marketing and uh, the latest translation software and uh, you know getting freelance clients and that kind of thing. What happens is if if you go to an academic conference, you will never see a professional conference the same way. Um, just to get inside an academic's head for five minutes, you'll go to a professional conference and, and ask questions like, okay, that's this one person's experience. Is that generalizable to everyone? Or, you know, this is what this one person did to improve or the, the tool this one person finds useful. Is that going to apply to me? Mm -hmm. um, and there are some professional conferences that are very good at having generalizable material. There are other conferences where I've been disappointed with some of the speakers at the professional conferences because they've said things. And as an academic, I know that that only applies in certain cases uh, or it only applies to a certain kind of person. And so once you've been to an academic conference and you've learned the rigor that academics have to think with, when you go to a professional conference, you find it easier to pick out the stuff that will be useful and you're less likely to be fooled with flashy demos. <laughs> Good point. So in terms of audience, was it very academic at the EST conference or were there people from, you know, practitioners, if you will? Um, well, the, the two overlap. 
a lot of academics are practitioners. It was uh, mostly um, academics, but as I said, you had Hen- Henry Liu from FIT there. Um, and I think actually the, the way things are going, the academics are going to need more practitioners to be around and to be interested. That's a whole other debate. Um, but I think there was, Henry was there and I think there were a few other pure practitioners, but it was out of the 400, I think probably 350 or 360 would have been pure academics going from PhD students all the way up to senior professors. Um, and that makes the room of makes any session a very very interesting one to be. And I was co-chairing a session, got up to speak in the session se- second session of the panel, and realised that one of the um, world's experts on translation theory was sitting two rows in front of me. <laughs> and suddenly that changes the game when you know that the person who invented the theory that you did your PhD on is sitting in the room. Um, it it ups the ante a bit. But I think that's good because you don't want to be speaking when you when people are just going to be swallowing it and not thinking. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about the networking aspect of conferences later on. But I wanted to uh, uh, talk to Alex as well. He t- uh, told us before we started the episode, actually, that he doesn't attend a lot of conferences, but but some he does. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe tell us uh, a little bit about um, a conference that you attended recently or one that is that you really have in very good memory, uh, let's say. Yeah, sure. Um, I have, funnily enough, for me, it's a little bit of the opposite of what Jonathan just said, because I usually don't tend to go to academic conferences, because I just find that I don't have the attention span required. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually go to very practical conferences where it's, um, you know, where, where I can immediately relate it to my professional life and, and what that means for me, how can I implement it, because that kind of captures my, my attention a little longer. Um, I went to, and Alex, you were there as well, the um, Interpreters for Interpreters. Well, I guess I guess it's a workshop. I don't think it's really a conference. Yeah, it's a very small one. Yeah, it's a very small event. Yeah, it's very small. I think it's about 50, 60 people maybe. And it's always hosted annually in the German region of AIC. And they do, well, yeah, as the name says, it's Interpreters for Interpreters. So it's really practicing interpreters giving and hosting sessions for other interpreters and it's always one speaker at a time um i had the the fortune and the privilege to speak there twice and i always found it very fun for my side of course incredibly nerve-wracking because you feel like every single slip of the tongue or or you know everything you say people are going to to judge you <laughs> to the harshest degree they can but i think so far i've, I've, I've done okay I, no one's yeah. crucified me so that's pretty good and um yeah i always found that it was very interesting to to hear what other people had to say i still remember the one we attended together the the interpreter for interpreters interpreters for interpreters workshop uh, there was a pretty cool demo by leonie wagner and anja rutten because they have uh, yeah. you know kind of a joint project which is about um collaborating on terminology in a, in a google spreadsheet yes and uh yeah, why didn't you tell us a little bit about how that went, Alex? Um, I think that particular presentation went pretty well because it was about, I thought it was really interesting too because it was about basically real-time glossary work in the booth. So one person is is interpreting, you know, they can give each other um, notes via Google Sheets because obviously you can see it in real time and then they can also collaborate on the, the, the glossary ahead of the, the conference. And a funny little thing, and I've actually done that recently on a job that I had in Madrid with, with my boothmate, um, you have the little chat window and it's funny how such a little chat window can make you feel that much less alone when you're doing really monotonous preparation work. So that was, that was pretty, 
just kind of like a little psychological thing. Um, but yeah, I think the Interpreters for Interpreters workshop is is quite phenomenal every single year. And it's very hands-on. So I think, was it last time, Alex? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think last time we did a couple of, I wouldn't call them yoga exercises, but like exercises you can do in the booth just because we sit all day. Yeah, I think that's been part of every uh, IFI so far. There's a colleague of ours from the German market, uh, Conrado Portugal, I think his name is. And uh, I, I don't know if he's an actual yoga teacher, but he's certainly very experienced with yoga exercises and breathing ah. techniques. So usually uh, he would he would usually do the last session of the day to calm everyone down and, uh, you know, to give these yoga stretches and breathing exercises, which which is great. It's really awesome. And then the, the great thing also about this last edition of the IFI, um, I think it was in, in July in Berlin, July this year, um, there were people from uh, related industries, if you will, or from related professions. So we had sign language, a sign language interpreter. We had people who do subtitling, um, you know, all these uh, professions that are somehow related to interpreting. And it was just extremely interesting to get an insight into their work. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. I was a little miffed I couldn't go to that one, but I had other... Yeah, you missed out. I, yeah, I know, I missed out. I had other prior appointments. And I think that brings me back to the networking part that you already mentioned as well. I think it's always really good if you go to these... Um, and I don't want to take away from the academic conferences because I have almost no experience with them. So, Jonathan, please, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this. But I think with the practical conferences, one of the big, big benefits is that you have a tremendous networking opportunity there, be it at the conference, in the coffee breaks, or even when you're having dinner or drinks later after the conference. It's just really great to see so many practicing colleagues all in one spot and getting to, to mix and mingle with them. So I think that's one of the big, big draws for me about practical conferences with practicing professionals. I don't know how it is with the academic world. If, if it, It's slightly different in the academic world, although a lot of them are practicing professionals themselves, so you still get that networking thing. Yeah. Um, the academics network for a slightly different reason, but I think one of the ways that I judge a conference, and this might sound very odd, but I, I judge a conference by its atmosphere. And so, for instance, TLC conference, which is every March in Warsaw, is a conference that I will always be happy to attend because it's the friendliest conference I've ever been to. And I know the networking there um, is so relaxed and chilled out that, you know, it, it just works. And, and they've managed to set the conference up really, really well and the, the meals up really, really well that you just feel like you're going to chat to someone. Even if you don't know them, the number of times I've sat down at a table and known maybe one person at the table and within five minutes, you know, there might be a table of eight people and you're all chatting away and getting to know each other. Um I've not gotten a huge amount of work out of networking at conferences, but I have learned a lot of what I would call market intelligence, which I think is quite rare, certainly outside the big conference cities and interpreting, to be able to understand how the markets are working in different countries. And also to, to share, you know, if you see a fairly local colleague, to be able to share, you know, what's going on with you, what's happening. Um, interpreting is a strange business in that we, we work in teams, but outside of the big conference cities, we tend not even to know a lot about our own markets, never mind the one 50 miles or 500 miles down the road. To be able to understand what's happening in someone else's market is actually really, really important because few of our clients only operate in one city. Um, they're not going to be, you know, I only have events in Edinburgh, they're going to have events all over. And if you can learn what is going on elsewhere, it can actually give you tips for dealing with your clients at home. Um, but yeah, I would say that when it comes to the business networking side, the traditional conferences have that completely 
completely knocked out. I would say that I would like conferences to give a little bit more time to networking. We tend to squish so many sessions. Yeah. And actually, uh-huh. if you ask people why do they go to a conference, most people will say, you know, they will say they want to hear something, but they will often say, I want to meet new people. And it'd be nice to make just a little bit, maybe kill a couple of sessions a day just to meet new people or have sessions where instead of being taught something, you're doing a workshop and getting to know people. I try to not do talks anymore. I try to do workshops and some of the stuff I do in workshops, you get to know other other translators and interpreters because I make you do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually yeah, funny. So a few free tips for conference organizers in there. Yeah, Alex? Yeah, I, would, I would just wanted to mention the whole networking bit because I remember when I was living in Manchester and um, together with a colleague from... From the UK, I organized the first tweet-up in, in Manchester for the Northwest Translators Network. And it was all supposed to be about, you know, Twitter, how you can use it professionally, but also, of course, networking. And at the end of the day, that's what social media is kind of good for as well, you know, reaching out to other people and connecting. So in a way, I get networking. So we said that um, we would give a little bit of a presentation as to how you can set up your Twitter account, you know, really take it from scratch and how you set it up, how you use it. And then after that, of course, you wanted to you know, network. So we did a couple of speed dating exercises with uh, with the people and it was really fun and everybody really enjoyed it because with that you got to know a lot of people and you were forced to just because that was the whole ex- the, that was the whole point of the exercise so we really had i think it was about oh god four five six different activities and and yeah we we basically ran through all of them i think maybe not all of them but almost all of them because at the end everybody was talking you know and and that's kind of the the the, the point i mean in the beginning of I, I think of every conference at least that's how i do it you always run towards the people you know and you're like oh my god it's so amazing to see you here you know how have you been and so on and so forth and you're kind of stuck with that group probably unless you guys go for different sessions because that's just the people you know you know you you like them you like hanging out with them maybe you don't get to work with them so often so you just kind of take that opportunity and by having these different um, well, yeah, I'm just going to call them speed dating exercises. We force people to break up their usual pairings and get to know other people. So that was really cool. And that was, I think that worked tremendously well. Oh, on that subject, um, some interpreters in Edinburgh getting together and we'd, we, uh, we were looking at, you know, going for a meal and stuff. And I just said, well, why don't we just go all 10 pin bowling? So in a couple of weeks time, we're going to have our very first Edinburgh interpreters meet up and we're going 10 pin bowling. That is really cool. Um, which is going to be absolutely hilarious. Because, you know, my average 10 pin bowling score for an entire session, if I get into double figures, I'm quite happy. <laughs> um, I, I'm the only adult I know who asked them to put the lane buddies up so you, so the ball can actually go in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be absolutely hilarious. Um, but, you know, sometimes we need to do stuff that's different. And I think, you know, free tip to conference organizers, some of the most amazing moments at things like ITI conference for me haven't been the big meals and stuff, but have been like, you know, being around the singing translators um, to have something that's unusual yeah, that, that, that people don't normally do. Yeah, I think sometimes the stuff that everyone's slightly are. Don't, don't do this every day when everyone's in that situation it's more comfortable whereas when you have a big gala meal and everyone's thinking you know is this black tie white tie black jeans white jeans you know what am i supposed to do here those meals are really really nice but you always end up talking business when you're having canapes and crepe <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, when you're at the 10-pin bowling alley, you're not going to be talking business. You know, it's not going to happen. No, that's true. No, and I know of similar events, for for example, in the uh, German professional associations who organize the social events. You know, some of them go hiking or some of them do other activities. And I think it's really fun because it takes you out of the traditional settings. And, and as you said, Jonathan, it's, it's just a different, you have different topics. It's a different atmosphere. And I think that's really, really relaxing. And that, that brings me to a somewhat related questions. Uh, the difference between these smaller workshops, smaller events, tweet ups, pub nights, maybe versus the big conferences, because I have attended maybe one or two of the very big conferences, like the Fit uh, Congress in 2014 in Berlin, which was huge. Yeah. With I, I believe four or five tracks at the same time. That was a mix. And I had a great time because you see so many people because they come from all over the world for these big events. But on the other side, I find that. Well, sometimes there are there are so many sessions going on at the same time that you don't know what to pick and then you don't have enough time for that and don't have enough time for this. And I find it very stressful. So I, I was wondering what your take is on these small versus big. Um, can, I, can I be honest with you? As a speaker, um, my experience has been that it's, I find it easier to speak to a big room. But if you do the same material, like um, there's one session that I did to a room full of about 80 people and then I did it down in, I did it in Edinburgh to six people, which really didn't work. And then I did it to twenty-two in London, and I realised when you get people in a small room close enough together, they're almost rubbing shoulders all the time. You you often get better work because no one can hide. Um, as an attendee, I like the big conferences because I have more options. It's less obvious if I'm finding everything on every track pouring, I can hide more easily. Um, but I think. If, if I'm there to learn, I would rather go to a small event. If I'm there to network, I would rather go to a big event. What about you, Alex? Um, I was just listening to what Jonathan said, and it makes sense, but I quite frankly haven't really put too much thought into it because I kind of... I don't know. I think it both has its, has its perks. As a speaker, I definitely find it more comfortable to speak to a smaller room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... Um, I don't know. I think when you go to a big conference, you do have more opportunities to network. But if you go to a smaller conference, you're kind of networking automatically because you're in the room with like a handful or maybe two hand handful of people. Um, but of course, Jonathan's right again. If the, if you're at a smaller conference with only one track and the presentation you're looking at is boring, which has happened to me in the past, then you know there's kind of no escape, and there's only so many times you can excuse yourself to the bathroom before you look like a weirdo. <laughs> so I don't know. I haven't really put too much thought into that. I think it both has its pros and cons, and I wouldn't really only want to go to one, but only yeah. go to the other either. So, what's your take, Alex? Well, as I said, I I think. Yeah, they both have their pros and cons, but I think I have a slight preference for the smaller events, both as an attendee and as a speaker. I think it's just, it's more intimate. You have a more direct contact as a speaker with the people you're talking to, or if, you, if you're holding a workshop, obviously you'll want a smaller group because you get much better results. Um, and I think the bigger conferences have the advantage that they usually attract more people from further away, which is nice because you see them less often. Um, but then again, you know, you have so much going on that it's, it's just extremely, uh, exhausting. It's great, but it's exhausting. Yeah. So for example, I'll, I'll be attending the ATA conference this, uh, autumn for the first time, which I think is the biggest of its kind. And of course I'm looking forward to it, but, uh, I think I will be pretty exhausted when I come back and not because of the jet lag. <laughs> Take some days off to recover. So I was just curious about that, but yeah, Jonathan. 
I was going to say, I think the thing is, as, as interpreters, we end up having to be conference experts anyway, because, you know, as conference interpreters, we have to understand how they tick. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed as an interpreter, which I try not to do as a speaker, is a lot of speakers try to put the knowledge first and the relationship second. So we, we've all interpreted the speaker who, you know, the, the guy, the, the man or lady is incredibly intelligent and, you know, they've got so much information to share, but they tried to pack, you know, three hours worth of information into 30 minutes, which doesn't, which never, ever works. On the other hand, the speaker who gets people laughing and gets people involved and shares 10 minutes of content in half an hour is actually doing a better job. Um, and I think that that's kind of. One of the things that I notice about conferences is I can notice the speakers who are confident enough that don't feel they have to tell you everything in one session are the speakers who do best. And the speakers who I really love are the ones who are happy to laugh and joke. And, you know, you know they've got something interesting to share, but they'll connect with you and then they'll share rather than sharing the info and, you know, expecting you to have a notepad and write everything down. Mm. Um, yeah. it, it's amazing when you're the other side of the of the booth how much you learn for your speaking that you go actually yeah connect first then deliver the information in a way that works then check it's there um that sort it, it but as you know just milling about i remember when i started my career i used to try and avoid the clients just in case they asked me to interpret over lunch and now i actually realize that as an interpreter when you're interpreting at an event i know it's different at the if you're a staffer but as a freelancer it's incredibly useful to network with the people that you're interpreting for you know, not necessarily giving out your business card because we know that's problematic, but even just talking to them about their work. See, when you go into the next session, so much easier to interpret. But can I just ask about clarification on the terminology? Because we're saying conferences and then workshops. So is are we equating one with the other? Because I, I, I was wondering this on the, you know, throughout the run-up on, on this podcast taping, and um, they're obviously different workshops, so C actual proper CPD events where you, like, you, you book, uh, I don't know, a social media marketing strategy workshop, or if you go to the Feet Congress, you know, those are kind of the, the two opposite sides on the, on that particular spectrum but they are of course very similar and i think that the that the lines are kind of blurry in, in some ways like for example with the aik interpreters for interpreters event it's not really a workshop but it's also not a conference it's kind of a a hybrid between the two so yeah what, what do you guys think because i mean, I, I think i've been to a bunch of workshops that I wouldn't classify as, as conferences that I thought were better than many bigger conferences, both in terms of the networking mm. and in terms of my takeaway uh, of, of the information. Well, I think that the blurring a little bit, I think it's it's becoming a little more difficult to differentiate between these various kinds of events. And I think that's okay. So for example, we have these new or relatively new formats popping up, like the treat up you mentioned earlier, Alexander, or the, as you said, the the interpreters for interpreters workshop, which which is in fact a mini conference, or a because it's it's uh you know it's a bunch of of several workshops each following each other, so it's like a small one track um, conference. But I, I think I think it's, it's nice that they sort of converge. And when the big conference is about people standing in front of a big room and you know talking about a topic, but when they also have workshops and more interactive. Um, elements so I, I i think that's fine and i wanted to maybe just very uh, quickly touch on on uh, a very different format which i hadn't heard of before but which i did last week so pros held uh, an online conference uh, on the 30th of september which is international translation day which was a very interesting format to me so it was uh, basically uh, 
a website full of uh, webinars and video workshops on all kinds of different topics from marketing to technology and what have you. And I thought that was a very interesting, a very interesting format. And um, the talks are also available on demand afterwards. Uh, there's a, a chat room that you can have. There's a Q&A afterwards. So um, I don't know if you've ever attended anything like that, but I thought it was very, a very interesting idea and a huge uh, participation as far as I can tell. I went to one, I think it was either last year or the year before I went to one, and I found, I'll be honest, and I, and I will say I found the pros at online conference bewildering. Because certainly the year I did it, they tried to make it as much like a conference as possible. So they actually had like stands and they had different rooms and stuff. Yeah. And in a way, I could understand what they were doing. But in a way, it um, represented to me a trend that I'm concerned about. And that is the the dehumanization of knowledge, to use a, a kind of academic sounding term. And that is that we we seem to become very, very happy with this idea of the knowledge is more important than the person delivering it. So if you think with webinars, you never ever meet the trainer. You hear this disembodied voice. Um, you occasionally get to throw a question, but it's basically throwing knowledge at you. And it, it's almost like a, 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 a spoken word book, you know, an audio book. Um, and I, I can see the use for them, but I think for me, the difference between a conference and a workshop is in a workshop, the audience should be doing the work and the speaker should be able to go to the shop. <laughs> my silly definition of a workshop um but the the, the difference for me is that it, in a workshop i would expect that 80 to 90 percent of the time the people attending would be physically doing something that's improving their skills at conferences i would expect that the people there would be more likely to be writing notes um the lines are blurring between the two and you get conferences that have workshops. I tend to tell conference organizers if I'm speaking that I prefer to give something towards a workshop than just a talk because I've found they're more effective learning strategies. But it, it's a strange question. Um, I just actually wanted to congratulate interpreters, obviously, in, in Germany and in Brussels for being able to attract people to those CPD events. In the UK, we've not had that record of doing it well. Certainly amongst conference interpreters, we've really struggled. Um and I think, you know, that one takeaway that I'd like people to take away from this show is it's actually worth telling, you know, for, for one or two days a year or three or four times a year, just saying to clients, even if you want me for an event, I'm already booked up that day and do the CPD. It won't destroy your bottom line. In fact, that actually might improve the your turnover. You're not going to lose the client by saying no once. In fact, you might impress them by saying I'm a way to do training. Um, I would like to see more interpreters commit to doing CPD and commit to doing something that's going to take them out of the house to meet other interpreters and do CPD. And obviously, Ike and Germany and in, in Brussels are are doing amazingly at it. I think some of the less mature markets could be doing with learning from what you guys have, have done, have managed. Uh, just to come, come back to the uh, online conference, I mean, I, I think I, I, I get your point, uh, but I, I think I beg to differ. I mean, I've only I've only done it once, obviously, but uh, I, I think it's really up to the to the host of the webinar to make it, you know, human, if you will. Because, of course, I mean, the, technically, the easiest thing is to just record your slides and then do a voiceover and, and throw it in there. 
But uh, my co-host and I, we, we went to great effort, you know, to make it uh, personal, to have our own faces in there, to make it personal, and also to, to be available in person for the Q&A afterwards. But uh, certainly depends on the topic and, and also uh, on how the individual host would, would design it. And I'm also, of course, I'm not saying that we only should do these online conferences now and should do away with the uh, real life conferences. That's certainly not, not the point. Uh, lastly, I wanted to uh, touch on on a related question, which is that we should not only attend our own conferences, i.e. conferences on interpreting and translation, but that we should also take a look at um, events that are organized by our clients so that we should go to uh, specialized trade shows, uh, let's say. And I believe, Jonathan, you went to uh, exactly one of these events uh, not too long ago. Yeah, every June I go to a trade show for the events industry in London. I'm actually going to up it to two, maybe three um, a year. And, and I do it for a couple of reasons. One is that every time I go there, if I don't get clients, which I did this time, I got on the preferred supplier list of a client I'd been chasing for a while, I get knowledge of what's going on in their world. And that makes it so much easier to have conversations when you know what they're talking about. Um, the meeting show in London, I think they have about 400 different stalls. They have thousands of people going. It's only over two days, so I just go one day. They have a seminar program. I shouldn't have gone to the Brexit seminar this year because it just depressed me. <laughs> but but just walking around, and sometimes um, the mistake I made the first year was only going to the stalls that I thought would be um, potential clients. That's always a mistake. You want to go to all the stalls and just, well, to lots of different stalls and just talk to people about their work. Um, so this year I went up to some stalls. Apparently um, PAs and secretaries are being asked to run more events. And there were a couple of, a few magazines for PAs and secretaries there because of that. And I went up to them and said, um, I see you're editing this magazine. Do you ever struggle for getting good quality content? And the, the editors, both of the editors um, smiled massively at me and said, Yes, why do you ask? And so in two secretary magazines, I've got uh, two two-page articles, which are essentially telling people about interpreting, but have my name and website on it. So for me, it's the equivalent of free advertising. Um, and it is those kind of opportunities that you get at client conferences that you don't get at our conferences. Um, the chance to, to write for the magazines that they read, the chance to meet them in person. Um, and I met one lady who was... Bulgarian, who as soon as she heard I was an interpreter, asked what my languages were. I told her that I spoke French and she immediately switched into perfect French. And suddenly you go, okay, this is a new world for me. What, what What's going on? Um, and I found out that she knew a whole lot about languages, knew a whole lot about the problem with interpreters. And she was able to tell me exactly what her company were looking for in interpreters. I thought, well, where else could I have learned that? So those, those events are absolutely invaluable for not just selling because it's hard to sell at those events but for doing your your reconnaissance and finding out what's actually going on in someone else's world excellent uh alex do you have any uh any experience in, in that regard done anything like that in the past nope nope <laughs> okay <laughs> no <laughs> to elaborate on that a little bit i thought about it and i actually um downloaded a bunch of calendars for the Munich trade fair, you know, one and when, which trade fair is on. So what do they do? And I actually wanted to go to the IT specialized ones. Cause that's kind of my, 
my favorite thing. Um, but I just never made it. You know, I've thought about it. I wanted to go, and either they are ridiculously expensive, or I can't go. So yeah, I think it's. In, I think in in theory, it's it's a great idea. I just can't go. And before I I wanted to say something on the whole CPD attendance thing, and I think subconsciously that's one of the reasons why when I go to CPD, I oftentimes go as a speaker because if I go as a speaker, I have to go. There's no other way. Whereas if I go as a participant and I get a good job, I'm just like, well, I'll obviously take the job and good point. you know take the hit on the money that I already spent on the flight or the hotel or whatever. Yeah, you know, I just kind of force myself to go to these things by being a speaker because then you can't really back out. <laughs> and that's the way that I've done it at the ITI conference at, or the Interpreters for Interpreters or... You know, wherever. Um, if if you're involved in the conference, you you have to kind of go because you're involved in the conference. I really like that. So That's great. <laughs> okay. No, but it's true. But because I, I talked about this with with a friend of mine, and um, it's really hard for for us interpreters to go to events because you know when you do have that last minute job that comes in, you usually just kind of throw everything, you know, you've planned overboard, and you just kind of go for the job and that's why I think it's very hard oftentimes to to plan for big or bigger interpreting workshops and conferences successfully because our job can be very last minute like for example right now today's Monday evening I'm still waiting for confirmation on a job this Thursday you know I don't know if it's happening or not so it, it's it's a little uh, tricky at times yeah. good strategy though I really like that <laughs> okay um, <laughs> you just gotta know how to deal with yourself yeah exactly so to wrap things up, um, what's what's up on the on the calendar? What's what's in the future? Do you have any conferences lined up that you're looking forward to attending or organizing? Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, this weekend, I'm going to stop you doing your shameless promotion work. Um, this weekend, I'm off to Utrecht to speak at the. I knew what you guys were doing. See, I, 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 I'm the king of, sh of shameless plugs myself. I haven't even mentioned the book. Anyway, um, this weekend I'm off to Utrecht for the... Um... What book? You wrote a book? What? <laughs> book? What book? Um, I'm off to Utrecht to speak at the 60th anniversary of the Dutch Translation and Interpreting Association. Um, and that's going to be really good. It's a one-day conference. It's kind of like a half-day conference, but it goes on late. Um, the lineup of speakers looks really, really good. A lot of people who I've heard of, but not heard. Um, and I, I love the uh, this idea of of giving back, of of being at other events, seeing what other people do, and also this is a kind of personal thing. When I have time at conferences, I like to try and visit places. So in pra uh, with BP sixteen this year, um, I managed to arrive early enough that we we went on a little tour of Prague, which was quite nice with some colleagues. This year, I grew up. Um, as a huge fan of a lady called Corrie ten Boom, who's a Dutch lady whose family saved um, thousands of Jews during the Second World War. And her house and their family's watch shop is still there in the Netherlands. So I'm going to go there in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'm, I'm going to be, afternoon and evening, I'll be at the conference. And I think actually sometimes, we've talked about learning from people from different professions. I think sometimes it does us good to learn about people or events that have nothing to do with interpreting, that have nothing to do with professional work, but that speak to something deeper than I've got to get a client, I've got to learn how to use this software. Um, I think that does, it, it makes me feel a bit more human when I've done something more than go to a city, seen the conference, I'll go back home. 
um, people joke about, you know, as an interpreter and speaker, you must see the world. And I've seen, yeah, I've seen about, uh, I've seen more hotels every year than I care to mention. <laughs> what else do you see? But, but to be able to see something else and go, this, there's more to this city than a hotel room. Mm. I think it is really, really worthwhile. Good points. Yeah. So I'm not, this autumn, I'm looking forward to uh, attending the ATA conference for the first time. It's going to be uh, very exciting, I guess. Uh, and also get to uh, do two talks, one with Holly Bill. And uh, what about you, Alex? I think you have a, a, a very nice event coming up in November. Well, mm. technically, we have a very nice event yeah. coming up <laughs> in November. And here is where the shameless plug comes in, because um, the both Alex's and a fantastic team of other interpreters in in Germany have organized a bar camp, which comes back to the very new and novel ways of, of doing these kinds of conferences or CPD in general. And a bar camp has nothing to do with cocktails, as I initially thought, which cocktails is a little bit of a shame, but you know. Um, but it is actually a, a very new way of doing CPD in that there is no agenda. So you sign up for the conference, for a two-day conference, and um, at the beginning of the first day, everybody meets up, you know, everybody kind of mingles and introduces themselves, and then uh, everybody suggests a topic that they would like to present. There is no mere audience, everybody's an actual participant, so everybody's actually a presenter or an active part of the conference in one way or the other. So if you don't want to present something, if you don't want to be a speaker for a, a workshop slot, you can also help out during the coffee break or you can write a blog article about the conference or you can do whatever you want. You just can't be a passive bystander um, th throughout the conference. So in the, in the beginning of the first day, everybody suggests something that they could do and then you kind of piece together the two-day agenda on on the fly and yeah that's kind of the whole concept I, which i thought was very cool it was suggested by uh, zonia vilna a colleague from from germany and yeah it was really cool so so it's what we've put up together um and this is taking place in munich in uh, uh a co-working space in my co-working space kind of on November 19th and 20th um, unfortunately I won't be able to be in attendance because I have a job so I had to throw everything overboard like I said so yeah the boons and banes but it's a really cool event and Alex I'm pretty sure we're going to be linking to that in the description to today's podcast absolutely so your and strategy didn't quite work out in that case because I know, <laughs> I know. but that's okay you know, nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're looking forward to uh, to welcome a lot of other uh, very cool colleagues. I'm really looking forward to that um, event as well. So, as you said, Alex, we'll put all the relevant links into um, the show notes. The quickest way to find us online is to just go to troubleturps.com. You'll find links to uh, our podcast, to the Tumblr that we have, where we share funny pictures and stuff about interpreting. And we wrap it up for today's episode. Talk to you soon here on the Troublesome Turps. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Do an out of that is absolutely no problem at all.